The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 95. Today is Monday, June the 11th, and we're coming off a weekend of one of the biggest pay-per-view cards of the year. Before we get into that, let me introduce my co-host all the way from New Jersey, which I understand it's about as hot there as it is in Florida, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how you doing on this Late Monday afternoon, my friend. Phil, I'm awesome. It's officially the last teaching week of the year because next week the kids get their laptops taken away. So we'll just be watching uh, Lego Batman or something. So I'm ready to roll, Bill. It's time to start this summer. Nice, Lego Batman. I would always show the Sandlot to the kids when I was teaching middle school. Little known facts for, for the listeners. I used to be a middle school teacher, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> it may be hard to believe that Jeff is a middle school teacher. <laughs> I still don't believe in myself, Bill. <laughs> but in any case, uh, yeah, school's been out down here for a couple of weeks now. Uh, you know, the cycle's a little different in Florida. They end in May and then they start up again early August. So you guys go till the end of June. And then start after Labor Day, I think. In any case, enough about the education system, Jeff. Had enough of it. Uh, so today's Monday. We usually record on Sunday, but my parents are in town. So I had some things to do. I went to Tampa Bay Devil Rays game yesterday. little baseball action. I don't follow baseball at all, but, uh, you know, a live sporting event is always fun. So it was the, the Rays against the Mariners and... The stadium is actually really cool. It's in St. Petersburg, and it's an indoor stadium. They have a dome, so it's air-conditioned inside, chill, watch the game, have a couple of beers. They had some local craft beer and, you know, walk around the baseball stadium. It's always a good time. Got to bring my daughter to her first Major League Baseball game. So it was pretty cool. Pretty good weekend. How was your weekend, Jeff, before we, before we jump into this card here? It was good. I didn't do too much. Um, I was just mostly watching soccer, trying to check out some of these teams before the World Cup starts because it starts on Thursday. So I'm pretty excited, Bill. Let's pick, pick an early favorite here. Who's winning the World Cup? You can call it right now. All right. I think that Germany is going to repeat. Um, they have a really, really good squad. Uh, they were young when they won it last time, and I think they've only grown with experience. Um, and then I have Belgium as a strong favorite. I really like that team. I think they were too inexperienced during the last World Cup, but I think that a lot of their players are starting to really step into their prime here. So I'll keep you posted every now and then, Bill. All right, sounds good. I'm picking Brazil just because I, I want to get my, my early pick in. I don't even know if they're going to make it in there or not, but I, that's that's my pick. And I, Don't tell me if it's a good or bad pick, Jeff. I want to find out. I want to be surprised. All right, so you heard it here first. Either Germany, Belgium, or Brazil is going to win the World Cup this summer. All right, so let's get into some MMA. Enough about these non-sport sports. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Let's do it. <laughs> UFC 225 on paper, probably the biggest card of the year so far. Uh, you know, I would say UFC 226 is the biggest card uh, of the entire year. But uh, up to this point, I, I think this was the most stacked card. So headlined by UFC middleweight champion Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero, this was a rematch. And I got to tell you, Jeff, I almost didn't watch this fight. I know I was texting you while the fights were going on uh, during the Colby Covington and Rafael Dos Santos fight. I wanted to skip it as a protest because I'm really sick and tired of these fighters being allowed to miss weight. Something has to be done. I'm not sure exactly what the solution is, but I have some ideas. So uh, let me explain a little bit uh, as it relates to this card. Yoel Romero missed weight by a quarter of a pound. So he missed weight the first time he was allowed to go back and cut again. He comes back to the scale. He's a quarter pound over and he has to be carried off the scale by two of his teammates, and the Athletic Commission would not let him continue cutting weight. So at the end of the broadcast, Joe Rogan had said, oh, if they let him cut weight, he would have made it, and it would have been fine. But it shouldn't have to get to that point. It shouldn't have to get to the point where you're being carried off the scale by your teammates. Like, why are you cutting this much weight? And it's the second time in a row he did this when he had the opportunity to win a title. So for those of you who forgot, Yoel Romero did not make weight when he fought and defeated Luke Rockhold for the interim middleweight championship. So that belt was on the line there. He didn't make weight. He won the fight, so he didn't get the belt. So you think he would have learned his lesson that time. This is a high-level Olympic medalist wrestler who has been competing in MMA long enough. He may have gotten into it late in life, but long enough to be able to make weight intelligently. You know, he's got a good team behind him. He's got money in his pocket. He could hire a nutritionist, do whatever he has to do, you know, do a few less deadlifts or something. I don't know. But if you want to be a middleweight champion, you have to be 185 pounds on the nose and you shouldn't be carried off the scale. Even if you make the weight, because I think that's a bad sign, too. I think it's really unhealthy for these guys. And as we're learning more about CTE and brain damage and things like that, uh, getting hit in a dehydrated brain is not good for you. And I'm not a doctor, but I think that's fairly safe to say. Let me get your take on the weight issue, Jeff, and with Yoel Romero specifically. What were your thoughts when you found out that he didn't make the championship weight for this main event? Super disappointed, man. I mean, he's been competing at a level that is unbelievably high, the highest level of both wrestling and MMA for years. And this isn't his first pony show, Bill. He should know what he's doing. Like you said, he can hire a nutritionist. Um, he could lay off the Cuban sandwiches, uh, <laughs> which, Bill, that's one of my weaknesses, man. You know I love Cuban sandwiches, but I also – don't have to make 185 pounds uh, a certain day of the year. So it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really disappointing. Like you're letting the fans down, you're letting the organization down. And I feel like there needs to be more of a punishment. Like I think, uh, forget the 30% of your purse to your opponent. That's not working anymore. We have to have something more strict, maybe pay money out of your own pocket to your opponent. Like you get no money, uh, no show money, and then you could still earn your win money potentially. 
um, I think there should be a suspension involved. You know, you can't fight for a title for a year. You can't fight at all for six months. Uh, that's an idea. An idea that I really liked that came from Chael Sonnen is to use the NCAA wrestling tactic, which is you weigh in an hour before your fight. So that takes weight cutting out of it because nobody's going to dehydrate themselves uh, an hour before they get in the cage. Everybody would have to move up a weight class and you would be fighting more at your natural weight. I really like that, but I know it's not going to work. And I think, you know, the reason I'm going to say Jeff is marketing. You know, the weigh in is a big event. People buy tickets for it. It helps build hype for the fight. If you take that away, uh, you're taking away a lot. It, it affects, you know, the weigh ins affect the betting odds. And now sports betting is going to be legal in a lot of the States very soon. It's, it's recently legal in New Jersey. Uh, and it, it just affects too much. It would solve the problem and it would be much safer for the fighters. But uh, again, the marketing piece, it won't allow for that because it, it always builds so much anticipation. Then if a guy doesn't make weight or he, he was close or he had a bad weight cut, it always affects the betting lines and it, it gets some buzz about the event. And I get that uh, more than anybody. I get that. Uh, it, you know, you can't impact the marketing of the fight. So this is kind of the dilemma we're left with here, but I do think the consequences need to be more strict because guys are being able to cheat. And I forget the statistics, but I think uh, fighters who have missed weight are like nine and one or maybe nine and two this year after the Romero fight. And it really causes a lot of problems for the company because we almost faced a one of these consequences, if Romero beats Whitaker and beats him convincingly, then you have a guy who loses a fight, but he's still the champion. So then they have to fight again and it holds up the division. And then you have to worry about him making weight again. Then what do you do if he doesn't make weight a third time to fight for a title that he technically won because he beat the champion, but he didn't win it because he was a quarter pound off. Uh, it, it creates a whole lot of problems and that almost happened, Jeff. We had a really close main event here. So let's move past, uh, all the weight cutting negativity bullshit. Um, I actually really want to put some more thought into this and see if we can't come up with a, a better way to handle the weight cutting and, and try and make it not such an issue for this sport, because it really is a form of cheating. If you're coming in overweight, like, I feel like some guys are even doing it intentionally now because they know they can get away with it. They pay a fine, they come in heavier, they win the fight, they get their win bonus, they get maybe a knockout bonus or whatever, and they're banking on that. They're rolling the dice as opposed to actually being professional and making the weight. So we had a really close fight here, Jeff, and you and I went back and forth a little bit about the results of it. So Robert Whitaker coming away with the split decision over Yoel Romero he broke his hand in the first round. So, uh, you know, the broadcasters picked up on it around the third round, I believe, that he wasn't throwing his right hand anymore. And he basically told his corner it was busted. We've seen the x-ray. He had a badly broken thumb and his, his whole arm was numb from his, from his elbow down. Uh, but in, before he broke his hand, he closed Yoel Romero's right eye almost shut. And Romero took a lot of damage in this fight. Robert Whitaker was almost finished two separate times. It was a really back and forth fight. Uh, 
I can't stress enough how dangerous Yoel Romero is in the third round of any fight. And we talked about this last week, Jeff, how I said that if Romero's going to win, it's going to be in the third round. And that almost happened. He almost put Whitaker away in that third round. Whitaker, I, I can't even put to words how tough this guy is. And the beating he took from Yoel Romero, uh, the, the power that he got hit with has put away some of the best middleweights in the world. And Robert Whitaker was able to take that, walk through it, and come away with the decision. However, it wasn't without controversy because of that third round and that fifth round and how dominant they were for Yoel Romero. Some people believe Yoel Romero could have edged away a decision here, and obviously one judge thought that Romero could have gotten a decision. How did you score this fight immediately after it ended, Jeff? Who did you think was going to take, I would say take the belt, but only one of them could take the belt. Who do you think was going to take the W here? Yeah, Bill, I'm not going to lie to you. I am one of the naysayers. I think that I had it three rounds for Whitaker. Uh, the first, second, and fourth round, definitely for Whitaker, uh, 10 nines. I could see the fifth round being a 10-8 for Yoel Romero. But as for that third round, I know Romero was super explosive. He was hitting Whitaker with some tough shots. But Whitaker wobbled. Wobbled. Yeah, wobbled Romero in that third round too um there was this elbow a really short elbow that really looked like it hurt Romero and that for me is really what uh made it at least a nine point round for Whitaker I definitely gave that round to Romero but I didn't see that one being a 10-8 yeah see I I wouldn't have been surprised at all if it was a draw at the end of this fight I did think that Romero could have gotten a 10-8 in that third round. And I definitely think he could have gotten a 10-8 in the fifth round, which would have made the score even if Whitaker won the first, the second, and the fourth 10-9. The problem here also is Yoel Romero did absolutely nothing in the first and second round pretty much. He was there with a really high guard. He had his hands up. He was kind of moving forward a little bit, but he was just kind of lulling Robert Whitaker in and tracking his rhythm and waiting to explode in that third round like he always does. And that's that's pretty much like if I was if I was a, a coach, I would want to skip this third round against Yoel Romero. Like you know how in hotels sometimes they won't put a 13th floor because it's bad luck. Like yeah. they'll go, <laughs> it'll go 12th floor and then 14th floor for like really tall buildings, like a superstitious thing. I would want to fight six rounds against Yoel Romero and there's no third round. And we just go one, two, four, five, six. <laughs> um, <laughs> but because he really does take the first two rounds off essentially to get your timing, get your rhythm. And then he wants to explode on you in that third round. And it, it's amazing to me, like the way that he fights because he has the ability to explode at any time. And then he had a spinning back fist at one point in this fight. I think it was in the fourth round that Whitaker just barely ducked under. And that looked like the most ferocious spinning back fist I've ever seen thrown in MMA. So long story short here, Jeff, I thought it could have been a draw. I was glad to see Whitaker get the decision, but I don't think he would have been robbed if he lost the decision. 
and I don't think Romero was robbed that Whitaker got the decision. It was a very close, very competitive fight, and I really loved it, and I hate that I loved it because I wanted to hate it <laughs> because of the weight-cutting bullshit. Um, but I did stay up to watch it, and these fights were on until like 2 in the morning, uh, so it was a little long for me. I know you didn't make it, but I remember I texted you early the next morning and told you go back and watch this fight. It was fucking amazing. It really was one of the best main event fights we've had in a long time. Uh, I really wish it was for the actual title. So I don't ever want to see these two fight again. I know Rogan was kind of, he was asking both of them, like, so you guys going to do a rubber match as if they were even one-to-one. I, I don't really understand what was going on. I think a lot of people were questioning uh, Rogan a lot during this pay-per-view. I don't know why people are starting to turn on him so much or, or why he's acting a little weird. Um, but yeah, I never want to see this fight on paper again. I want to see if Romero does decide to continue fighting. I want to see him at light heavyweight. There are some awesome matchups there. I mean, Romero and Daniel Cormier would be amazing. You know, two former Olympians, uh, getting in there competing in MMA, uh, you know, would Cormier, of course, Cormier would probably be able to take Romero down. Would he be able to hold him down? Would he be able to deal with, Cor with uh, Romero's explosiveness? So um, let, let's have that. And then you have Rockhold moving up to 205 to get away from Romero, and Romero follows him there like some kind of creepy like Cuban stalker. It would be awesome. And he's like, I love you, Rockhold. I follow you two or five. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, uh, what do you want to see next for both of these guys, Jeff? Uh, well, for Whitaker, I want to see him take some time off, and then um, I don't know who who you put, man. This this division's in shambles right now. Um, everybody seems to have lost to Romero, and. It's kind of hard to justify giving Weidman or Luke Rockhold uh, a title shot right now. And then you have Kelvin Gastelum kind of just sitting there. Um, you know, he just be Michael Bisping. Uh, so, I honestly, I think I'd like to see um, Luke Rockhold versus Kelvin Gastelum. And then maybe the winner of that gets uh, Robert Whitaker. And as for Yael Romero, yeah, I think moving up to 205 is the best option for him. I think there's some awesome matchups there. I'd love to see him fight uh, Jimmy Manoa or Alexander Gustafson, one of these pure strikers. I think that's an awesome matchup for him. I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I, I think you can't give Romero another title shot at 185. You just can't. He missed weight twice for two title shot opportunities, two main events. You can't do it. You gotta you gotta punish this guy somehow. Make him move up a weight class if he wants to continue fighting. I, I think the fight to make is Weidman and Whitaker. Uh, if these two guys are healthy enough, I know Weidman's coming off a thumb surgery. Whitaker obviously has a broken thumb, so you know let let's let's book a thumb wrestling in six months, and then we'll do it for the middle. <laughs> let's see whose thumb is healed better. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think that's the fight. Wait for these guys to heal up, and then. You know, sometime in the fall, we have them for the uh, the middleweight championship. I, I think Gastelum is a good choice to put in there as well, but uh, you know he can't really jump the line over Weidman since Weidman submitted him. So there's that. In any case, let's move on. Co-main event. This one got people all fired up, and I, I 
I was so stressed watching this fight because people were bugging out. I didn't know if my illegal stream was going to hold up <laughs> and cut out during this fight. I didn't know if Colby Covington was going to get knocked out or, or, or like what could have happened. This was a crazy fight and it was really entertaining to me. And I thought it was the best Colby Covington has ever looked. And in my opinion, he manhandled a former UFC champion and he earned that interim belt. And I'm really excited for Covington and Woodley. They're already building it up. So Woodley finally has this antagonist that he's been looking for in Colby Covington that can help him build a big money fight and get him some pay-per-view points. Cause a lot of people want to see Colby Covington get his ass kicked. And if that's the reason you're tuning in, you're still tuning in. You're still shelling out for that pay-per-view. And a lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand that Colby is playing a character to get himself in the limelight and it's worked. You know, everybody who's getting pissed off at Cubby Colby Covington is just marking out for his gimmick to use a WWE term here. Um, in any case, a lot of people were trying to say that Rafael Dos Santos won this fight. And that's laughable to me at, at no point did I think Rafael Dos Santos was winning but then I look at Twitter and people are like, Dos Anjos is up three rounds to none. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what fucking fight are you guys watching? I could possibly entertain an argument that he won the first round because he landed more shots, but he was still being pressured and forced into another guy's game in that first round. He did get taken down once. I would definitely concede that Dos Anjos won the fourth round, although one judge didn't even see it that way because I looked at the scorecards and one judge even gave that fourth round to Colby Covington because if you'll remember, Covington came back and he took RDA down at the end of the round. Recency effect, you see him get taken down at the end of the round, you may forget what happened at the beginning of the round, even though RDA controlled the majority of that round. I would say he definitely won the fourth. I did not score the first for him, but... I would entertain an argument that he won it. Other than that, this fight was all Colby Covington. It was pressure. It was chain wrestling. And he outstruck RDA with his pressure. He didn't allow RDA to set up his leg kicks. He didn't allow him to set up any big strikes because he kept the pressure on him. He kept a pace that was unreal for the welterweight division. He was full steam ahead the entire time. And love the guy or hate the guy, you have to admire his gas tank and the pressure he was able to put on a former champion here. And that's all I got to say about it. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Dude, pressure was the name of the game. Um, I was worried about Dosanjo's leg kicks. I really thought Dosanjo was going to, to win this fight coming in. But, dude, Covington from the first bell was in his face, putting so much pressure on him. Uh, using his high-level wrestling and just making those Anjos carry his weight. Dude, it was 10-star performance. And, you know, you got to – I know that Covington is rude and he's crude, but, dude, I'm starting to like this guy, man. I I don't know what it is, but he's just got that it factor where his trash talk is, like, bad, but he puts so much into it that you can tell – He's actually like really, really smug about it when he does it. 
Um, dude, it's oh man, and whether you like him or hate him, you gotta respect this dude as a fighter, man. He was in there, high level pressure. Every round he came out exactly the same. Dude, I'm so I'm worried for Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley, we've seen him get really, really exhausted in fights. Uh, especially the first fight with Steven Thompson, where he was kind of throwing everything out there in the in the third and fourth round. Dude, if Covington can come out with a pace like that. And he, because he neutralized those Andros, those leg kicks weren't there because Covington was smothering him. He and he just made it so that those Andros could never get going. And if he can do that to Tyron Woodley, I, I think Covington might be able to back up his trash talk, man. Yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting fight. I like the performance. I like the call out. The trash talk is awkward. It's it's cringeworthy, actually, uh, but. I love the reaction he gets out of people. You know, he's he's really knows how to get under people's skin. And it's very clear he's doing it on purpose. And people buy it. You know, it's just a character. He's just trying to push people's buttons. It's a classic, you know, bully mentality. If you ignored him, he wouldn't do it. Or he wouldn't bother you. Or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and he has said some really terrible things i definitely don't condone the things that he has said especially the racially charged things about you know brazil and and things like that but you know the guy has a belt strapped around his waist and he has it there because you know he has very strange trash talk that riles people up so they want to see him get his ass kicked and then he backs it all up with fighting skills. And the fight with Tyron Woodley is very interesting because they used to train together at American Top Team. So Tyron Woodley was the only fighter out of American Top Team who started at ATT and was bred all the way up to becoming a champion. Uh, he then left ATT. He was kind of training on his own in Missouri for a while, bouncing around, and then he wound up with Duke Rufus. So, yeah. Uh that it's going to be an awesome fight. I know there are some timeline issues. Covington is saying he wants to fight at Madison square garden, which I believe will be in November. And Woodley is saying he wants to fight in August. So hopefully they meet somewhere in the middle and make this fight happen. I think they will because you know, Woodley finally has somebody who can go back and forth with him. I think the trash talk will be fun and you know, it'll definitely be heated when these two get in there together. I think, Woodley kind of needs somebody who will push him uh, to reach his full potential because you almost forget how awesome of a fighter Tyron Woodley is because his last three fights are, you know, a, a lot of people probably wish they didn't spend money on him if they spent money on him. And that's, that's a sad thing for a champion because, you know, then you start saying like, oh, well, the organization isn't supporting me and they're not marketing me. It's like, well, we have to go back four fights before we can find clips of you fighting the way that fans want to see you fight. So I think this would be great for Woodley too, because it'll really bring the best out of him, and he's needed that for a while. So that's all fun and really exciting for the welterweight division, which is pretty stacked right now. And uh, it's really interesting. You know, you got Darren Till in there, um, although I don't believe he should be fighting a welterweight anymore. Uh, 
but you know, if he, if he gets his stuff together, you know, it's interesting that he sticks around in there and then you got a lot of up and coming guys, you know, you got Ponzinibbio who's, uh, who's on a pretty good winning streak. Uh, Kamaro Usman, uh, who, who has, a you know, some conflict with Colby Covington and, you know, he's talking trash to Woodley too. So this is really exciting division right now. Uh, and, and Dos Anjos is definitely not out of it. You know, I, I think this was a very one-sided loss for him, but you know, he just, he just beat Robbie Lawler so he can come back in, you know, our RDA and wonder boy would be an awesome fight. It, you got a lot of interesting things you could do there. RDA and Damian Maya you could do as well. Um, I don't know if they would fight each other, but in any case, uh, moving on down the card, the first women's featherweight fight that was not for a championship took place between Holly Holm and UFC newcomer Megan Anderson. And Megan Anderson looked like a UFC newcomer in this fight. She got out-wrestled by Voxer and showed that she is fairly clueless off of her back. And once Holly Holm figured out how to deal with the reach of Megan Anderson, which is obscene, she has crazy reach for that division. But once Holly Holm figured it out and got her timing down, this fight was all Holly from about three and a half minutes of the first round until the last bell rang. Uh, Megan Anderson was not even in this fight. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, man. Uh, like I said last week, I didn't know too much about Megan Anderson coming in, but after seeing glimpses of her, uh, I like her striking. It looks really technical, really crisp, especially um, at the start of the first round. She got Holly Holm with this knee to the face, and then a couple of punches followed it up, and it looked really good. Um, I think she's gigantic for this division. I don't know how she makes 145. Um but, dude, Holly Holm looked great in there, and, you know, you can't take anything away from her. Former Bantamweight champion, former featherweight title contender, and uh, I, I thought we saw a dimension to Holly Holm that we never got to see because she is a boxer, and she's never had to rely on something other than her boxing. But uh, I think she respected Megan Anderson's striking and said you know what we got to switch up the game plan and i love it i love how she switched it up mid-round and went for the grappling went for the wrestling her ground and pound looked really solid um it looked like she was going for submissions every now and then um and every time she would go for a submission megan would maybe try to get out of it she'd go back to the punches and you know i think we saw a huge hole in anderson's game too um she just kind of laid there whenever Holly Holm took her down. I saw no attempts at sweeps, no attempts at bumps. So uh, credit to Holly Holm, but I think Megan Anderson's got a couple things to work on back in uh, back in the gym. Yeah, and it was by no means a grappling clinic. I mean, it looked like, you know, it looked like a high-level blue belt grappling white belt, which is, I think, essentially what it was. You know, Megan Anderson was not, moving her hips on the bottom at all. Uh, she didn't seem like she knew how to recover guard or escape the mount, anything like that. And it was all against a fighter who's really a 135-pound fighter and was only fighting up at 145 basically as a favor to the company. That being said, Holly said that her priority is really getting that bantamweight championship back. Even Cyborg had made a statement that she wants to see Holly and Amanda Nunez fight and then fight the winner 
in a super fight. Uh, I don't necessarily care about the latter part, but I do want to see Holly Holm and Amanda Nunez uh, more so than I want to see Amanda Nunez and Cyborg. I did want to see that at one point, but after Cyborg, uh, after Amanda's last performance, I just think the size is going to be too much. Um, and I think it, it's tough because what do you do with this featherweight division? You know, uh, I, w I really want to see Holly and Amanda. I think that's the fight to make, but the featherweight division is kind of pointless. You have nobody in it. I mean, this was a number one contender fight and only one of these women was a legit featherweight and she got dominated. So what do you do with this division? I don't know what I do know. I want to see Holly home fight Amanda Nunez and, um, that, that fight is really appealing to me. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I'm with you hundred percent. Um, Holly Holm versus Amanda Nunez. It's making my mouth water, dude. Um, that looks like a super awesome fight. Nunez looks scary in there. The, her last time out, she looked a lot more technical. But Holly Holm is pretty strong. Um, I mean, she looks jacked. She's very strong physically. Crisp, super awesome boxing. Um, I think she might struggle a little bit on the ground. But in the stand-up, I think we we're going to have a war. And um, as for the featherweight division... It's tough, man. I'm going to use the analogy, a soccer analogy here since uh, it's almost World Cup time. But, Bill, they say that you never want to build, and I guess this goes for all sports, you never want to build a team around a player. You want to get players to fit the team. So, you know, if you try to get this one really, really good guy and then try to get guys to play around him, you're going to have a hard time. But if you... And, and that's the problem with the featherweight division here. They made it specifically for Chris Cyborg to be in the UFC because she couldn't make 135. And now, you know, they, they got to reap what they sow. And unfortunately, it's not working out too well. I think Megan Anderson gets eaten alive by Chris Cyborg just because of how well-rounded her game is. So I don't know what you do here, Bo. Yeah. I mean, there's one person in the women's featherweight division, which makes it almost as empty as the men's flyweight division. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to, uh, to male heavyweights. And this was a really disappointing fight for me. Uh, as far as the result goes, I thought it was a phenomenal fight. And that's Ty Tuivasa and Andre Arlovsky. And I was saying last week, Arlovsky is one of these guys with 25 lives. Every time they bring in one of these young lions to put him out of his misery, he pulls an upset out of nowhere. And that's exactly what I thought happened. I was 100% convinced Andre Arlovsky won this fight. And then the decision goes to tie to Yuvasa in a unanimous decision. Now, Tuivasa was pressuring, but Arlovsky, I felt like, was doing a lot more damage. So Tiavasa had a couple of shots that rocked Arlovsky, but Arlovsky was piecing up Tiavasa every time he moved forward. He was sticking a jab in his face. He kept landing the lead hook over and over again. I thought it was masterful boxing by Arlovsky. I was watching this fight with my dad, who does not watch very much MMA at all, uh, but he was a big boxing fan at one point. You know, I always remember... My dad watching the Mike Tyson pay-per-views and stuff when I was a kid. So we watched this fight together, and I gave him a little background on the fighters. And and uh, going into the third round, my dad said, oh, this 
this young guy is going to have to knock out the Russian guy if he wants to win this fight because there's no way he won. Triavats's face was mangled. Arlovsky's face was mangled too, but in his defense, it was mangled before the fight even started. <laughs> so, I mean, he's got that like silly putty nose that just like mushed in, and I guess he never got it <laughs> fixed. Like some people have a deviated septum. He has like a devastated septum. <laughs> it's just fucking... <laughs> Just, oh man, that was a good just one. Mashed, like his nose looks like a pile of mashed potatoes that a little kid didn't want to eat and smashes their fist into it. Uh, <laughs> in any case, what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Because I thought going into the decision, uh, it, it should have easily been scored for Arlovsky. Not to take anything away from the toughness of Tuivasa, who went out of the first round for the first time in his career took a lot of damage and kept pressuring forward and, you know, even threatened Orlovsky and stumbled him a couple of times. But outside of that, I didn't see how he could have won this fight. What are your thoughts, Jeff? Bill, super impressed with both of these guys. Um, Tuivasa, I was a little worried about him heading out of the first round, but he looked good in all three rounds. You know, he didn't look exhausted at all. <clears throat> and, you know, he managed to put Arlovsky on his butt at one point. I believe it was the first round. But then after that, it was the Arlovsky show. And he looked great, man. He was keeping his distance, you know, moving in and out, making sure that he was not there when Tuivasa was going to respond to to these uh, Belarusian combinations. And, you know, I, I really don't see how... Tuivasa got the win. You know, I was impressed with his performance. I thought he did really well against an experienced guy, but I don't think he did enough to win. And, Bill, there's a couple of questionable decisions on this entire card. Um, there's another one in the prelims that we'll talk that I'll uh, mention once we get into it the Yoel Romero fight. Um, well, that one could have gone either way, but, um, you know, I, I feel like Arlovsky got robbed here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, I think Rob is a good way to put it. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll concede that it's a close fight and it could have gone either way. But I, I thought this one, and maybe I need to watch it again. Maybe I'm missing something. The fight metrics said that Tuivasa landed more in the third round, but I, I don't really recall seeing it that way. And I think Arlovsky definitely did more damage. I think Tuivasa was even surprised that he won the decision, but. Uh, it's unfortunate for Arlovsky because, you know, he's up there in age. He's pushing 40. He was ranked number nine. And, uh, you know, this loss is a lot more damaging to him than it would have been to Tuivasa. But, it, you know, that's also the, the name of the game. He, he'll either get back to the grind and get back in there. You know, Arlovsky is used to getting knocked down the ladder and climbing, climbing his way back up, which is something that I really appreciate him as a fighter because his whole career has been like that uh, since losing the UFC heavyweight championship. So <clears throat> I don't want to spend too much time on this fight and I don't want to, I don't want to hate on either guy because, you know, they both stepped in there and they got on the biggest stage possible and they put it on the line. Mike Jackson and Phil Brooks. I thought this was an entertaining fight for what it was. I think you have to have a certain expectation going into this when it's too, professional fighters that are both zero and one and you know i i thought it was pretty entertaining 
And I don't think the beating Phil Brooks was taking was as bad as the commentary team was making it out to be. I think if it were a more seasoned fighter, they would more so be saying, uh, you know, he's got a lot of heart and, and, uh, you know, he's too tough to put away, but I think they were picking on him a little bit. I think the fans were picking on him a little bit. Uh, you have to admire a guy who walked away from making, you know, millions of dollars a year to come and probably, it probably costs him money to do this, to, you know, to be a part of Rufus sport and, you know, he, he, I'm sure he, he got a decent paycheck, but you know, he had to dedicate his life to this. And, uh, I don't have much more to say about it. And Mike Jackson at a certain point looked like he didn't even want to be in there. He looked like kind of bored, like he's ground and pounding CM Punk and like not even looking at him. It was very awkward. And he even said at the end, like, oh, if they don't invite me back to the UFC, maybe I'll be a boxer. Like, he kind of knew. And Dana White confirmed, like, I'm definitely cutting this guy. Like, who does he think he is? He was, he didn't, he couldn't finish him after talking so much. At... In any case, I don't have hate for either guy, but I have no desire to see them fight again. I thought what they did was an entertaining fight for what it was, given that I had realistic expectations going in. What are your thoughts on this, Jeff? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, uh, CM Punk left the WWE because he wasn't happy there. Um, he's kind of talked about never he's like never going back into wrestling, or at least not going back anytime soon. But um, you know, getting to the fight itself, I you know anybody who thought that they were going to get more than this is de completely delusional. Um, it's a guy, you know, who kind of just wants to see what he can do versus a guy who knows what he can do. And honestly, I think Mike Jackson wanted to make CM Punk look good. I think he wanted to put something on for the home crowd. And, um, the whole reason that this fight was even on the main card was to get in pay-per-view buys. And I think it worked. Um, you know, the whole crowd got into it. They were chanting CM Punk's name. Um, the CM stands for chick magnet, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, I'm with you. I kind of never want to see these guys near an octagon ever again, but I'm glad that punk, you know, got that itch out of his system. Hopefully he realizes that this isn't for everybody. Um, but you know, I'm glad that he went in there and chased the dream, uh, you know, uh, like anybody else. But, um, anyway, I guess we can move on. Yeah. I mean, at least we saw him, you know, in the first round, at least before he got exhausted, he was mixing things up a little bit. You know, he had yeah, very basic striking and very basic wrestling, but, you know, able to take a guy down who's not a wrestler. Uh, so there's that. I mean, he wasn't really changing levels on his takedowns, but they, they were effective. So I don't know. There's that, but yeah, Let, let's move on from this. I, I, I don't have hate for either of these guys, but let's let's not do that anymore so <laughs> the prelims and a lot of people were upset that this fight was on the prelims and, and it got bumped for the cm punk fight but what are you gonna do this is a business people got to get paid here there's a lot of a lot of people who work for the ufc everybody's uh gotta get some money here curtis blades and alistair overeem i thought it was a pretty dull fight uh for the most part until the last round when curtis blades broke out some scary ground and pound out of nowhere. Uh, those elbows from the top were just horrific. And he knocks out Alistair Overeem 
in devastating fashion. Leading up to that, uh, I was kind of interested in Overeem's approach. I was texting you. It was kind of cool to see him throw in some leg locks. You know, he went for a straight ankle lock at one point. He went for a heel hook at another point, and the heel hook looked pretty tight. The only problem was he had Curtis Blades' heel over his forearm, and usually for to finish the heel hook, you want to have the heel right over your wrist, like you're like you're wearing a heel wristwatch, and that's how you get the most leverage on it. But he was pretty deep on that heel hook, uh, and it was pretty slick for two giant heavyweights. It looked, um, it looked really uncomfortable, and it looked like he could have finished it if he had the right grip. Uh, because other than that, it was locked up pretty well. So, you know, old dog coming in with some new tricks in Alistair Overeem. Uh, who knew he had a submission game off his back? So that was kind of cool to see. Uh, I'm not a big fan of leg locks in MMA, but, uh, you know, it is always cool to see that these guys are actually evolving and trying new things. Uh, awesome finish by Curtis Blades. Uh, the, the first two rounds left a lot to be desired. But that third round really put an exclamation point on it. He got himself a nice highlight real knockout. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude, super impressed with Curtis Bleeds. Um, he was looking pretty solid in the stand-up. I thought he'd struggle a little bit there uh, against, you know, a former K1 champion. And, dude, his ground and pound is absolutely vicious. And he wants a title shot next, but um, I don't know because – Ganu's fighting um what's his name? His last name's Lewis. His first name is escaping me. Derek. Uh, Derek, Derek Lewis. Lewis. Thank you. Um so yeah, I kind of want to see Curtis Blades take on the winner of that and then have that be a title eliminator. Um but yeah, dude, Blades, he he made a really big statement last night. Overeem is no walk in the park and Blades his striking was devastating, especially in that ground and pound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got a lot of uh, a lot of young heavyweights coming up, which is great because this is uh, a pretty thin division. Uh, it would be interesting to see Blades against either Derek Lewis, who is pretty difficult to take down, or Francis Ngannou, who uh, we learned in his fight against Stipe does not have very good uh, wrestling defense, but he's also a freak athlete. So who knows, you know, if they get him in there with like uh, with a high level wrestling team. Uh, if he'll be able to pick stuff up, he might come in there and like start shooting double legs next time he fights. Like who knows that guy is a freak of nature, <clears throat> but yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't think he earned himself a title shot here. You know, knocking out Overeem, I don't think is guarantees you bumping up the ladder as much as it used to. Um, I admire Overeem for even getting back in the cage after uh, getting his head sent into fucking outer space by Francis Ngannou in, in the scariest knockout of all time. <laughs> like his head looked like it detached from his body. His soul definitely left the stratosphere. Uh, it, it was horrific. In any case, uh, I think this may have been one of the fights that you were hinting at with the, uh, with the judging. And that was Claudia Gadelia and Carla Esparza and a straw weight contest between two top competitors is this the one you're talking about here jeff yeah you know it looked um pretty decent but i thought carlos barza was just landing a little bit more with the takedowns especially when claudia godogia was on top 
and <clears throat> Carlos Barza was able to sweep her pretty easily and end up on top. And as for the striking, um, I maybe you could give that to Gadelia, but overall, I just thought Esparza did more to win in this one. Yeah, it, I, I didn't know how to feel about the decision. Uh, I thought Esparza could have done enough to win, but she's so hot and cold, and you know she's kind of hinted at like. You know she's doing this for money, and she wants to sell her Harley Davidson from the from winning the Ultimate Fighter because she can't pay her bills and stuff. And it's like you never know what fighter is going to show up. And I feel like this is also a case of Claudia Gadelia severely underestimating Esparza. I got that feeling while they were in there. Uh, I wish I had more of an opinion here, but like by the time the decision came around, I was like, all right, what's the next fight? You know, I was just like, oh, Gadelia won. That's cool. She's hot. Uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I'm just telling, I'm just being honest with my train of thought here, Jeff. Um, so the fight before that, another split decision, Mursad Bektik and Ricardo Lamas, two top, uh, featherweight contenders going at it here. This was a very back and forth fight. I think Bektik probably edged it out. Uh, Lamas had his moments in this fight, but I don't think he did enough to win. One thing I do want to comment on is Ricardo Lamas went for an Armin guillotine in the third round and he seemed to have it locked up pretty tight, but this is a common mistake I see with the guillotine. And I, I know a little bit about guillotines myself, Jeff. It happens to be my favorite submission. If you're a longtime listener of the show, uh, you're probably aware of this. Or if you're a training partner of mine, you're probably aware of this. It's the, the one tool in my arsenal. <laughs> but in any case, I see this mistake uh, a lot. And guys will lock in the arm and guillotine. And they will arch their back and and pull back uh, and thrust their hips forward like they're finishing an armbar. Now, the mistake is their elbow will be up too high. The way to finish the guillotine properly is to get your elbow down low and pull it down to your rib cage. People who aren't watching on YouTube can't see the way I'm moving my arms. But basically, the choking arm or the arm around the neck has to move so that the elbow is pointed down. The elbow is pointed up. It doesn't put enough pressure on the carotid artery to be able to choke your opponent. And I think this habit forms because really strong guys will compete in jujitsu and choke guys out because they're just so strong and they're able to get away with that. But once you get somebody who's been in this situation before and you're not putting the, the right pressure they're not going to tap, especially in a high-level UFC fight because it hurts, it's uncomfortable. You might pass out if the person's able to hold it for like a minute and a half. But uh, Ricardo Lamas blowing out his arms on this attempt, and if he had just kind of shifted his weight a little bit and pointed that elbow down, he might have been able to finish Bectic with that. And we've seen this uh, a couple of times before. Uh, Tyron Woodley trying to guillotine. Wonderboy Thompson comes to mind. So just a thought I had while I was watching this, and I, I happen to be kind of a nerd about uh, guillotine semantics. So in any case, what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, I was impressed with both of these guys. I was really entertained with this. 
uh, like you said, they each had their moments. It was really back and forth. And, you know, Ricardo Lamas went for that guillotine a few times. And, like, every time he went for it, it was a different mistake. Like, there was one time where his hips were on the wrong side or both of his hips, like, he had his arm in, but both of his hips were outside of um, Bektich, so they were pointing mm-hmm. away from him instead of towards him. And at one point, he was going to lock it up, but there was no room because Bektich was up against the cage, so he couldn't get his leg around him. So, um, you know, Lama's a tough dude, but I think a lot of technical mistakes in that guillotine probably cost him the fight. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is, Lamas is a top-pressure guy. You know, he's he's a striker and he's a wrestler, and usually wrestlers are not comfortable on their back, and they don't they don't work on those details of jujitsu that allow you to finish these types of submissions. But I thought it was an entertaining fight. Uh, unfortunate for Lamas because he was really high up there. He took a chance uh, in his last fight uh, and got knocked out. You know, he took a lesser-known opponent at last minute. He got KO'd, and, you know, now he lost a close decision to Mursad Bektik, but, uh, and and it's in a stacked division, so not good for Lamas, who's also getting up there in age. But in any case, solid fight. He could still come back, and it's always possible. So uh, I, I want to kind of breeze over the rest of the card here, Jeff. So we had... Uh, Chris Delahocha and Rashad Coulter in a pretty back and forth uh, heavyweight fight that was pretty interesting. It resulted in a TKO for Delahocha in the second round. Anthony Smith, uh, I, I I hate even even talking about this. Anthony Smith KOs Rashad Evans in other, under a minute uh, of their uh, fight. Uh, Sergio Pettis edging a split decision victory over Joseph Benavidez. I didn't watch this fight because it's flyweights. Uh, and uh, Charles Oliveira submits Clay Guida in two minutes with a guillotine. That's a guy you watch for guillotine technique is Charles Oliveira. I think he has the most guillotine finishes in the UFC. Uh, and then Dan EJ, Ige, uh, uh, knocks out Mike Santiago in under a minute. So... Out of all of those, Jeff, if you had to pick one to break it down and and give me your opinion on which one jumps out to you the most. Um, Bill, unfortunately, I didn't watch too much of these because it was early prelims and um, I unfortunately was busy with something. But if I had to go back and watch one, I want to see Oliveira versus Clay Guida because from what I understand, Oliveira was looking good even with his striking, which uh, – is not one of his stronger points. Uh, he's more of a jujitsu guy. So apparently he was doing well on the feet, and then the guillotine finish was just the icing on top. So I'm definitely going to go back and watch that one. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. All right, yeah, I don't have too many opinions on the rest of these. Unfortunate to see uh, Rashad Evans still getting in there. I mean, here's a guy who has nothing to compete for anymore. You know, he has nothing to prove one of the great champions we've had in this sport, great ambassador for this sport, awesome martial artist, you know, tough season two winner. Um, you know, nothing else to prove here. I, I mean, I don't want to see this guy get in there again. Uh, I enjoy him as an analyst. You know, I wish he would just kind of 
stick to that, maybe get into coaching. Um, it, it's always tough to see these guys like who the game passed them by, you know, BJ Penn, who insists on, uh, on getting in there continually. And I get it, you know, there's that competitive spirit, but man, it, it is really hard to watch. Um, in any case, awesome fight card up and down. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of interesting things to talk about. I was actually really excited to get into this episode. Uh, you know, even though I had to push it back a day, but yeah, a, a lot of stuff going on. It's really exciting. So we got a little bit of a break here as far as UFC goes. Uh, they come back in Singapore on June 23rd. And you just told me this card's at 8 a.m., uh, which is not exciting to me. Uh, but we'll get into this card uh, next week because we won't have much else to talk about. But it's headlined by Cowboy Cerrone and Leon Edwards. And the co-main event is what I'm really excited about. Tyson Pedro and Ovin St. Prue. This is a fucking phenomenal fight. And I'm really looking forward to this one. And the other fight, uh, Jessica Rose Clark and Jessica I. Uh, should be really awesome too. Uh, anything you're looking forward to with this one in particular, Jeff? Yeah, dude, that same Pru versus Pedro fight looks amazing. I feel like it's going to be a barn burner. Yeah, that that has like fight of the year potential right there. Uh, anything could happen in that fight. It's two like really young, really tough guys. Um, I don't think there's too much going on in terms of news. Uh, UFC. Tuesday night contender series does start tomorrow night. Uh, I may post this episode today uh, or I may. Yeah, I'll post this episode tonight. So if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, UFC contender Tuesday night contender series starts tomorrow. It's June 12th. And, you know, it's got some interesting things. Uh, you, you know, the one armed fighter, Nick Newell, uh, who, who made a name for himself and other organizations is finally getting his shot in the UFC. A lot of people believe he should have been automatically put on the roster because his only loss is a decision loss to Justin Gaethje. Uh, the guy's a phenomenal fighter, uh, but uh, you know he doesn't seem disappointed in the opportunity to do this on the Contender Series. So that takes place on UFC Fight Pass, which is definitely worth the seven or eight bucks a month if you're a big fight fan. You know you got the full fight library you got the contender series you got every season of the ultimate fighter all that stuff uh, i'm not going to go too much further into it because they don't sponsor the show or anything and then uh yeah so this contender series is also going to feature uh nfl player greg hardy who is getting into mma and he's some kind of convicted felon or a criminal or some some sort of asshole that like should not be representing our sport but um you know i guess there's always a chance that he gets knocked out and embarrassed so there's that uh any thoughts on the contender series or any other news items jeff before we wrap things up here um yeah i just wanted to touch on rashad evans man um dude you gotta i love the guy he's been one of my favorite fighters for a while I've, I've always loved seeing him in there and it's tough because he's had a couple of surgeries on his knee and it's tough to see a guy, you know, just 
like you said, the sport kind of has passed him by. Um, you know, he's had some bad luck. His um, uh, the Black Zillions ended up kind of falling apart, and you know, there's just been a lot going on. And I feel for Rashad Evans because, like you said, he was a great champion. He was a great contender at light heavyweight. So I really hope he he makes something out of either being a coach or an analyst, and just something where he can find success again because he's he's a great brain for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one other negative note I want to close the show on. Um, unfortunately, over the weekend, uh, celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain took his own life uh, while he was in France. And I guess he was struggling with some mental health issues. And for those who don't know, Anthony Bourdain was a huge ambassador for the sport of jiu-jitsu. Uh, he had a, a show on... I don't know if it was on Food Network or wherever it was. I was exposed to it on Netflix, and it's still currently on Netflix, and that's Parts Unknown, where he goes to different parts of the world and experiences their culture and their food specifically. But everywhere he went, he would go and train jiu-jitsu and talk about jiu-jitsu on his show. And he trained with Kurt Oleander out in San Francisco. That was a really cool episode. He went and partied with the Diaz brothers in Stockton. And... You know, really entertaining guy, really talented chef. And, you know, I got into his show because he was such a big ambassador for jujitsu. So Parts Unknown, if you want to check that out, the San Francisco episode is one of my favorites uh, where he goes and trains with Kurt Oleander. And he really, you know, gives a rich history of jujitsu and talks about why he got into it at an older age. And suicide is just a fucked up thing, man. You never know what people are going through uh, or what they're feeling. And it, you know, I have this philosophy in my life, Jeff, is that, and that's just be good to everybody. You know, there's no reason to, to be mean to people or be nasty to people. Uh, cause even somebody who's like a, a rich celebrity, it may seem like they have it all. And, you know, they're really struggling with a lot of demons and you just never know what's going on inside somebody's head. So, I don't know. Just be good to each other out there. I, I know I, I say this pretty often. It could be pretty cliche, but I, I really believe in it. Uh, I, I believe in and just being good to everyone you come in contact with. You know, you know, tell jokes and joke about life and everything like that. But there's no reason to be bad to people out there. So uh, I, I know who am I to to tell you how to live your life? But that's just what I believe, and it seems to be doing pretty well for me. So. That's all I got to say about it, Jeff. Uh, any any closing thoughts here? Yeah, man. Like you said, it's tough. And <clears throat> Bill, something I you know, it's part of the reason I became a teacher is, um, you know, people grow up with so many hard things. You know, like uh, the divorce rate in this country is fifty percent. So a lot of the students I have only live with one parent, or they only see the other parent on the weekend. So I try to build an environment where everybody feels comfortable and accepted. And, you know, that's what I try to do with my friends. You know, that's how, that's why we're friends. Um, you know, we met through training and we were just, you know, nice to each other. And here we are listening uh, with our voices going out to dozens and dozens of people. So, <laughs> you know, just, you know, uh, just be patient, be kind and, you know, Go out there and live life without hurting anybody. It's my motto. Yeah. 
exactly. So if you want to be nice to Jeff or myself, or if you want to be not nice, that's fine too, because we can take it. We're not nice to each other sometimes. You can reach Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter, and you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks everywhere on social media. That's all we got for this week. Just fucking be good to each other out there, right? Or else, or else, you know, I don't know. In any case, that's all we got for this week. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.